Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Reformer. I'm your host, Mike Mayashiro, and um, this is the place where we say things you're not allowed to say, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but you guys, I've got a special guest on today. I'm super excited to introduce you to this person. She's a friend of mine. We met uh, a year ago? 2018. Almost 18. two years. Oh. Is it two years ago? Yeah. I, I think, think so. Really? I think it was 2019. What is the year? No. I don't know. I think we it's know each been... other for we've known each other for no. maybe two years. I'm saying okay, that. year and a half, year and a half. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think that's right. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. Year and a half. All February. Right, yeah, we're cut. We're meeting each other in the middle there. It's fine. Um, you guys, <laughs> this woman is a fireball. And I don't mean necessarily because of her personality. I mean because of her conviction and the way that she lives her life and how she engages with the world around her. She challenges me. She inspires me. She's fascinating. She's brilliant. She's beautiful. I know you can't see that from here, but anyway, <laughs> um, you guys, I'm going to introduce you to my friend Carla, and then I want to just kind of share a bit about how we met. And then we're going to get into specifically some of the Black Lives Matter, white privilege conversation of what's been going on in our country and just get to talk and specifically just share a bit of like even Carla's and my process in that together. But um, anyway, we're in for a real treat today. Buckle up. Here we go. <laughs> um, you guys, Carla is an entrepreneur. She's a pastor, a minister, a preacher of the gospel. I would say that she's a reformer um, and a mother in the faith. Um, she's a hustler. Homegirl knows how to get stuff done. And she's a marketer, <laughs> has like skills and training. Anyway, she just wears many hats. Um, anybody, you know, who has a bunch of talent coming out of their pores just has to find places to put it. So that's who Carla <laughs> is. I'm excited you guys get to meet her. Carla, do you want to say hi to everybody? Hey, I'm so glad to be here. This is so awesome. Yeah, thanks for being here. So to get us started, Carla, I would love to share, how did you and I meet? And I'm going to let you start us off because you actually reached out to me, right? Yeah, Let's share I that totally story did. In context. Yeah. yeah, so we met at a marketing conference that... I sort of decided to go to a little, not, I don't think as last minute as maybe you, but <laughs> it was a little bit last minute. Um, and it wasn't like a cheap thing. It was like a couple thousand bucks to yeah. get there. Right. Yeah. So it's a sort of like a commitment decision <laughs> to go. And I was, and I went really knowing no one. Um, I went by myself. My Same. husband couldn't even come. So it was just like, well, you know, out in the wild. Right. Um, and I'm so used to like Christian conferences. Right. So this was a little bit, this was new territory for me to go Same. alone. Yeah. Um, so I shared a little video, I think on my Insta stories or something. And a girl that I know from who, who lives in Harrisburg now, or maybe she lives in Reading now, whatever. She was a Bethel student and she DMs me and says, do you know Mike Mashiro? He is also, I think, at this same conference. And I'm like, what? 
what? No way. Like I had heard of you and I, I don't think I knew too much about you, but I certainly had seen some of your, um, Instagram shared from some of my friends and stuff. So I certainly knew your name and, um, and I knew you were friends with Carrie Grace. And so her, she and I had connected a little bit because she had come out to New York city with a team. Mm. Um, and so I had actually never met her in person, but we'd talked enough for me to feel like, you know what, I can totally reach out to her and ask for her to give him my number and maybe yeah. connect us. And, and real quick, my audience is, they're probably going to recognize Carrie as Carrie Lloyd. So somebody with, yeah. Sorry, we had a lag. Um, they're probably going to recognize Carrie as Carrie Lloyd. So I'm just going to throw that Yes, sorry. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's Go it. Ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I reached out to her and I guess she must have messaged she you kind of that yeah. night. Yep. Yeah. So um, I kind of forget how we actually ended up. Maybe you texted me or something. Yeah. She um, said, hey, this woman's a pastor in New York. She's a friend of mine. Apparently she's at the same event you're at. We'd love to, you guys should connect. I think you get along. I was like, okay. So because yeah. of my trust and respect for Carrie, I texted you and I was like, Hey, Carla, my name's Mike. Carrie gave me your number. I'm coming to Funnel Hacking. We're so sketchy, right? (laughs) Yes. But like family everywhere. Isn't that the best? Yeah, it was like so truly cool. the yeah, best. Totally. Yeah. And you invited me to a prayer meeting and I was like, oh God. I did. I nice. did do that. <laughs> yeah. I organized. Well, this is the thing, this whole marketing thing. Um, it has this sort of like cult following type thing. And totally. so I knew there were a bunch of Christians sort of in this um kind of organization. And so I was like, you know what, actually the organization is, is Mormon. So I was like, I know there's some like undercover, maybe not undercover, but, um, sort of mixed in here, like some, some Christians. So I thought, you know what, I want to gather, I want to bring the kingdom right in the middle of this marketing thing, you know? Um, cause that's what I do, right? God's in everything and especially in business. So I was like, I want to find my people, right? If I'm going alone, I may as well figure out a way to gather. So yeah, I held a, I hosted a prayer breakfast. And so that was so awesome to have you come and, and pray and share and man, it was awesome. That was fascinating. I remember like going to that being like, I have no idea what to expect. I don't know who's going to be here. I don't know any of these people. I don't know this Carla person. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. So I show up pretty like green and like totally disconnected from the whole thing. And it was a goulash of Christians. We had all kinds of denominations at that table, all kinds of theology. And I was like, oh, Oh, yeah. I know to hear people prayer. Yeah. yeah, To hear like the prayers of like, (laughs) oh, I see. I see where you're at. Yep. (laughs) We all still sinners just trying to get by, you know, it's sort of like, okay, yep. Yeah. So I'm never thinking like, okay, is this like indicative of Carla's theology or did she invite a bunch of people she doesn't know? Is that what's happening? Oh, totally. I remember trying to get like the lay of the land, like, where am I? And so anyway, after hearing you share a bit and just kind of even reading you, you know, like just in your energy and whatever, I'm like, oh, she's cool. I like her. So we got to chat, obviously, at the breakfast. Connected. And then you guys, we ended up sitting together every day for the rest of the event. It was like a four-day event. Yes. Um, and like, we didn't know each other, but we were like fast friends. And she actually, yeah. I had a coaching session I needed to do online and she let me use her hotel room. I ended up picking, I was renting a car, so I would pick her up from her hotel. We'd like carpool. Yeah. She let me use her hotel space. I'm like, this woman doesn't even know me. Like, <laughs> it was crazy. I was just such the, you know, the, the trust. <laughs> I was yeah. like, that's, I mean, obviously yeah. it was a win, but, and by the way, yeah. thank you again. That was super helpful. Oh, for that sure. I'm so glad. God sent for sure. But anyway, so we got to connect yeah. and like really like bond in that because it was like a you know it was in a journey just yeah. being in that environment and making totally was navigating that whole yeah was fascinating so yeah anyway that was quite the environment 
Yeah. yeah. We so. actually had a, we went to dinner one of those nights and we talked about, yeah. we talked about the gospel and believers yeah. and salvation and right. And then like later yeah. on that week, we talked about women in ministry, women in leadership, women yeah. empowerment, like feminism, yeah. like that whole thing. That was an interesting conversation. We had a lot of stimulating conversations. Yes, we, we really did. It was so good. <laughs> and then ever since then, we even went Facebook, we went live right together and yeah. just shared audiences yeah. and apparently had a lot of people in common, which I'm like, whoa, it's great. I know. Overlap there I know. All these people are like, I didn't know you knew Mike. And right. I'm like, I didn't know you knew Carla. It's like, well, we didn't sort know. of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And then since then, we've just stayed in touch and collaborated and all yeah. that. And it's been really cool just to watch Carla's life. And it's been convicting, you know, at times, which isn't always the case for, you know, lots of people that you follow. But Carla does bring like a challenging confronting, you know, like <laughs> message of like radical engagement of your, your environment, of your community, of people, you know, and oh my gosh, this is the story that we, sh this is what we, this whole intro is leading to this moment and then we'll get into the good stuff. <laughs> we were at a hotel room, no, sorry, at a hotel in the lobby working on like a, a marketing thing for me and then this dude shows up randomly out of nowhere and just starts like pouring his life out and confessing whatever. I don't know why. And yeah. Carla's just sitting there listening. I'm like watching this whole thing. And while we're, and this guy's not a believer, but he's talking about how Christians like, you know, it was like this evangelistic conversation. He's interviewing us as Christians. I don't know. How, I'm pretty sure that's Carla's fault. But anyway, yeah. in the middle of this <laughs> happening, this is not a joke. A full grown man walks out of the hallway into the lobby, but naked like not wearing a lick he is barefoot he is i kind of forgot about that <laughs> you forgot oh my god completely naked and carla my back is to the lobby so i don't even know what's happening she's like oh <laughs> this gentleman is having a trouble and i turn around and look and i'm like what full on naked guy walking and he's like loud and kind of oh, angry no. and you're like what is happening and yeah he, he came back and it was crazy carla do you want to chime in yeah on <laughs> yeah well, I actually thought he was having like a diabetic episode because oh. sometimes if you um, if you if you have diabetes, you actually can you you sort of display uh, like being drunk and sort of hallucinate and and uh, it's called oh I forget ketosis or something I don't know. Um, but I think he was just drunk. <laughs> yeah. I have like my benefit of the doubt brain on, right? Yeah. Like there could be a real medical issue here, right? So yeah, that was super wild. Uh, but thankfully the, um, the receptionist brought a towel out for him. <laughs> like, well, it actually took a while. I remember we stood up to like investigate. He went down the entire hallway of the other stretch of the hotel and we watched this whole thing happen. We're like, what, are we supposed to do something? Like, what's gonna happen? Yes, thankfully, that was wild. Thankfully, showed up with a towel. That was, yeah. Yes, it did take anyway. her a long time. Why did that take her so long? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> she said that he was like a regular like this was not the no. first rodeo i'm like oh. you keep towels on hand then if that is the case <laughs> sheesh <laughs> Ooh, and so the adventure began where mike and yes. carla got to cross paths and, you know <laughs> go after this thing in tandem okay so carla let's get yes. into some of the more let's go some of the less drunken naked parts of this <laughs> yeah. conversation so <laughs> It was, so obviously George Floyd died like a little over a month ago and the country just went into an upheaval and things have just yeah. continued to evolve from there. And in the midst of that, I remember being so shocked by some of the things I was seeing and like 
bothered and whatever is that I didn't even like chime in for like a week or so. I didn't say a word. Yeah. I was like, this is crazy. Um, yeah. And in the midst of that, I'm seeing Carla's stuff pop up like probably multiple times a day, live streams, posts, videos, whatever. Just Carla getting at, out there saying a lot of stuff that I'm like, what? What does she mean? And because of my respect and value for Carla, I'm like, okay, I want to understand what she's saying. Because with the political stuff in the midst of all of it, it can obviously filter and taint how yeah. you read anything you, you read or see or whatever. Yep. And so I, there was a, it was a heyday just trying to sift through everything you were seeing and reading and getting rid of all the garbage and looking at anything that was true and it was taxing. I remember mentally and emotionally just yeah. like having to sort through so much data. I'm like, this yeah. is crazy. So anyway, um, I've got friends on the left. I've got friends on the right. I've got friends in the middle. I've got friends who don't identify, whatever, politically, right? Yeah. And that's not what this is about. But Carla, yeah. I would say from how she chimes in and represents herself from my right friends, Carla would be pegged as someone from the left. That's someone who's like outside <laughs> of their realm of whatever, you know, their values and whatever. And I'm like, okay, I don't have a huge value for trying to peg people for those things. I don't think anybody's as simplistic as that. Um, yeah. But regardless, this is not a political conversation. This is like, um, we're talking about humanity and yeah. oppression and that kind of stuff, right? And anyway, so Carla had some pretty strong, pointed, uh, poignant things to say and the way she would say it. She was, was not apologetic <laughs> she was not gentle <laughs> she was bold and in your face i don't think she was rude or combative but she was definitely like staunch in her approach to what she was saying which where she was coming from so carly do you want to yeah. first of all just set the stage on just yeah. your overall like <laughs> attitude and perspective on what this whole last couple months have yeah. been like and why and maybe some of your background on that and why don't you just go yeah. ahead totally well first of all i'll say oh hang you on know, sorry yeah Before, Real quick, you guys, just like any other interview, I just want to throw a disclaimer just to give Carla that space. Whatever Carla says today, I may or may not agree. And that's not the point. I want Carla to get to share whatever she wants, yeah. come from where she's coming from. And I want you guys listening to get to sort through that. You get to pick up what you love, throw away what you hate. You get to sort through the offense or the confusion. And yes, I want you guys to get to work through it. But I want Carla to have full permission to say whatever she wants, knowing she doesn't represent me in this. She gets to be herself. All right, go ahead, Carla. Amen. Good. You know, I think it's hilarious that you said, you know, I would be pegged as somebody who's like on the left. Um, I'm like 100% conservative. Um, and so the interesting thing is um, my specific opinions, or I, I wouldn't even consider them opinions. Um, I really don't really relate politics to the topic of racism whatsoever. Um, it is not a political issue. It existed well before election season. Um, and so this idea of race and racism being political is really, is actually the problem in my perspective. Um, it's entirely the problem as far as how the church is learning, how to respond, how to think, how to, um, operate because they've really from, from, this is from my experience my perspective and experience of maybe my audience is sort of in the conservative realm. Um, and so, yeah, I think ironically my sort of voice on this topic seems to match a, um, more, you know, liberal version, but from, from, 
truly, from my perspective, it's a kingdom uh, vision of this. It has absolutely nothing to do with politics. I have zero desire to convince anyone on who to vote for. I mean, I haven't even referenced um, any sort of political affiliation in this whole journey because it's not political. Um, and so I think that's really the foundation of where this whole conversation has to start is, man, we've got to, we have got to remove um, political motives or political insinuations and even political voices from our understanding of this topic because it's not one. I mean, there are so many experts that have been, you know, marching to the beat of this drum for decades and it has, and they are not political. They have no interest in, um, you know, all of that other than to maybe uh, see policy reflect a increase of freedom for black people and people of, of, you know, variety of colors, non-white actually don't love using people of color um, because I have color and you have color. So we probably shouldn't consider people of color, everything, not white, right? It's almost sort of a, it's almost like a white supremacy uh, standard, right? White is the standard and everything else is color, but I have color and you have color. So anyhow, um, that's just a little sidebar of the things that like in our everyday communication, right? We see these sort of things where white is the standard, white is the authority, white is the, is the top tier and everything else is just lesser than, right? Other than. So, you know, as far as, as anything race is concerned, um, I, I personally have found that in the church, there's a bit of a, I mean, I'm just going to say it, there's an idolization of, of political narratives on both sides. Um, and so that's something that the church has dangerously, like when I say dangerously, like this is a historical pattern of failure for the church where we partner with political parties, political ideologies, and we mesh them together in such a way that politics becomes our savior. And Jesus is sort of the, the guy we hope is kind of along for the ride with, with <laughs> our political party, right? Instead of kingdom over everything, right? And so um, when we start to think that how we vote and, and all of that is what's going to save our world or really you know, not to say that we shouldn't engage with politics. I'm not suggesting that. I have a poli-sci major. I, I've worked for campaigns before I got saved. I worked for um, NATO uh, in college. So I've been in, I, that was my old life, actually. Politics was uh, how I wanted to save the world until I realized I couldn't save the world because Jesus had already done that. So, um, <laughs> so I certainly understand the political stuff. This is not, um, I'm not a uneducated uh, background on that topic. Um, but since getting saved and understanding the kingdom um, and understanding the history of the church as it has engaged and been infiltrated by politics, um, man, it's a dangerous road to walk and we have not historically done it well. Um, it's the same thing we did with Martin Luther King. It's the same thing the church did in Germany. Uh, they became Nazified with, along with Hitler and, and really adopted and infused, um, you know, the Reich mentality. And actually they renamed the evangelical church Reich church. Like this is how deep this went. Um, and so eventually it became, you know, endorsing of killing the Jews. Right. So, yeah, I think the, the political stuff is really where we've gotten way off base as far as what is Jesus doing, right? 
Jesus is not busy worrying about a Marxist agenda. He's actually sitting in the dirt and he's sitting in the tears. He's sitting in the blood of those who have been, you know, marginalized, who have been abused throughout history and who've never experienced actual repentance from the people and the country that did it to them. Right. And so, you know, we can't move past the idea of just everything's better without repentance. Reconciliation is absolutely impossible without repentance. So, you know, even from a, a, a Christian standpoint, like if we are called by the Lord himself to be ministers of reconciliation, like that's what he handed us, right? That was part of our inheritance. This isn't just like we should be doing this. This is actually a gift from the Lord that we get to be ministers of reconciliation in union with him as he is the reconciler and give that and demonstrate it to the world. So if we aren't first willing to even repent for something that we participated in, um, man, we're never going to be ministers of reconciliation. It's impossible. Totally. So when you... Um, and there's so many questions I would want to ask there. And I definitely want to play a devil's advocate in terms of getting to Please. represent, you know, questions yeah. for people listening. Um, Cause obviously you and I've talked about this a lot. Um, <laughs> when you talk about repenting for things that we've participated in, yep. what do you mean by that? I want to voice the people yeah. who are like, um, I didn't ever have slaves. Yeah. So what does that have to do with totally. me? You know, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a really great question. Um, and so, Here's, here's the best way to describe this. You know, white supremacy is a principality, right? And it is in fact a principality that we can look at our past as a country and see that that principality was invited as a spiritual partner in the founding of our country. There's no way to deny that, right? We killed the natives. We, you know, we used, you know, imported people as slaves. And so, Having this understanding of, you know, white rules over all, that's ultimately what white supremacy, you know, means, you know, that is a principality that has never been deconstructed in our country, okay? And so, yeah, okay, Martin Luther King came and we changed some laws, but it did not change hearts, it, you know, law doesn't change the heart, right? So, and it was really against the will of the country that the laws were changed. Um, it was not favored by most of the white country. So from that perspective, we can see there was still no repentance. It, it's been perpetuated in, you know, whites, the, the principality of white supremacy has been perpetuated all of these years, okay? And so the issue here is as a white person, you are born into a country that by the nature of how it was built, the nature of the systems of government that endorsed the abuse and slavery of others, um, we have effectively benefited from the ways that our country was formed on the principality of white supremacy, right? So, I mean, we can look at this simply even from the fact that we spent 250 years of our economy benefiting from slavery. I mean, any business owner knows that the most expensive part of running a business is labor. We got 250, we got trillions and trillions of dollars put into our economy on the backs of other people, right? So we can look and say, well, that was so long ago. I'm not responsible for what my, you know, 
ancestors did, right? The issue is, if we really get into it, you know, hearts took so long to change, even a little bit, that things have taken so long to get fixed that it's almost like, well, it was so long ago, like, well, let's just forget it, right? But, you know, if we look at our court system as an example, if there is some, if there's like a debt that's owed from however long ago or land that's owned by someone and let's say it's stolen, but then a hundred years later, someone comes with the deed and says to the government, hey, this is actually mine. Guess what happens? It goes, it doesn't matter how long it's been. It actually matters that you have proof that you own this thing, right? So there's an element of, yeah, we can sort of not claim responsibility for our past, but we're living in the benefits that our ancestors, you know, did to black people. So yeah, I understand that it's not a necessarily an overt connection to, you know, the sins of our ancestors. That's fair. Um, but there's also the issue of, you know what? I spent most of my life not caring even a little bit about black people's experiences, being totally ignorant of the fact that they deal with, you know, being ignored, being, um, you know, not picked for jobs that they're qualified for. I mean, I just read the other day, there was a, there was a governor race. I forget what state, Arkansas or something. And a black woman with a Yale degree was beat out by a white man with a farmer's degree. So if we were to switch their degree, right, it's like we can look at this and be like, that is insanity because we think, well, the most qualified one gets picked, but it's, it's not true when race is in play. Um, and so part of this issue is we have all these structures that we're a part of that have never been dismantled. And because we're white, we have chosen to be ignorant of them. And, and I'll say chosen, that's a strong word. Um, I think the problem with ignorance is you don't know you're ignorant, right? Um, so it's a hard one to even take blame and responsibility for that. I get that 100%. I mean, I was in the same boat for, for most of my life. And, and the only reason the light came on for me was I accidentally took a politics of race class in college. I had no sort of like enlightened experience that led me to sort of have compassion. I wasn't even saved at the time. Um, and, and really my understanding of studying, you know, the difference of experiences and the, and the wealth gap and all of, I mean, there's so many layers to the ways that white supremacy is still influencing white people. And so that to me is how white people are still complicit in the sins of our forefathers because it's still a sin now. Even the fact that we haven't done the work to learn to see how racism manifests, how white supremacy manifests in our daily lives means we are participating in the mindsets and the narrative of that principality. Right. And so, man, I don't want to be ruled by a principality. I don't want to partner with anything it has to say. Right. And so that's the problem that I see is we have all of these mindsets that feel so normal. They feel so. And that's because we were born into them. Right. It's like we inherited it as we inherited, you know, our citizenship to America. 
And so part of our job as white people is saying, yeah, I've been participating in agreement with white supremacy because I haven't done a thing to hear my black friends or care about them, right? Or care about their experiences. And they're so tired of, you know, the, the death by thousand paper cuts that they get, that they walk through every day by the microaggressions and the, um, you know, just the different ways that they, that they know that they're being treated differently for their, for their skin color. So that's how I, I would say, you know, white people are, you know, they're without actually renewing your mind on this topic, you inherit it, whether you're Christian or not, because it's in, it's in the air. I mean, truly it is a narrative. That's what principalities do. They operate by influencing culture, culture with a narrative, with a language, with a storyline that they want you to believe so that they can remain in power. And so if without, you know, being able to discern this and understand how it operates, we unknowingly participate. I mean, it's the same with any other type of stronghold or mindset. We have to renew our minds to the truth, right? So yeah. great. Love it. Thank you. So when someone is listening to you, let's say this is the first time a white person is hearing some of this, maybe that, you know, their social media is curated to the point where they're only hearing people that yeah. say what they like and agree yeah. with or whatever. Yeah. Um, what would you say to people who maybe don't have the background or understanding or maybe even the repentance yeah. of what you're describing? Um, Cause you know, so I know sometimes, especially in my line of work, the challenge can be how do I communicate a spiritual reality that I've discerned yeah. that I'm aware of yeah. that doesn't make people get defensive or yeah. dismissive or feel attacked or totally. accused, but help them recognize what is yeah. true regardless of their bias or opinion and then yeah. they're then once they make contact with that, then able to actually yeah. responsibly, res, you know, do something about it. My question for you then in that is, what does repentance look like for an average white person today? Yeah. Like, what yeah. what would that look? Not that this is like what you're supposed to do, but can you give us some examples sure. or symptoms of like what you're talking about when it comes to repenting for this potential white supremacy thing that they've been? Yeah, you know? yeah. So I think it probably starts with. Um, I mean, I would suggest kind of, it probably has to start with looking around your life and seeing, do I even have black relationships? Now, one thing I will also say that I'm very aware of is there's only, I think at most 14% of our country is people of color. I think it's maybe 12% are black. So there is a very real just numbers game of you probably live in a city that has not many black people, right? I went to high school with about three black people, um, which probably played into why my AP uh, US history term paper was about reverse racism in college admissions. So uh, a fact I am currently still embarrassed about. Uh, but, you know, I, because by the way, I don't believe reverse racism is a thing, but, um, or at least a truly valid thing, but we can maybe hit on that later. Um, so I think that the version of repentance really starts with what does my community look like? Is there a way for me to connect with people that are different from me? Because I'll tell you what, Revelation says that all tribes 
uh, will be gathered before the throne. So that's actually what the kingdom looks like. It looks like a variety of tribes. God is not colorblind. He actually intentionally created Jesus as a dark-skinned man. He created you as, you know, Japanese American. He created me as your, you know, white as it goes, right? So it is absolutely um, vital that we do seek the different tribes in our life as best we can, because that's how we, we demonstrate that we love the whole kingdom. So that might be sort of a step one. Um, step two might be taking an honest look around your life and saying, okay, if I had black skin, what would my, how would my life be different? right? Where, what part of town would I probably live in, right? What school would I probably go to? You know, what opportunities would be more or less available to me based on that changing basically that one thing? What are the statistics even in my own environment? Um, and I'll just, as a sidebar, you know, statistics are a hard one because um, I do think on all sides, statistics can say whatever you want them to. I took a political statistics class in college and Basically, the first class started with my professor saying, literally, she said, you can make statistics say whatever you want, and we will spend most of our semester proving that. Um, and we did. I mean, it's amazing how intentional, you know, a, somebody who, who, who works with statistics can be biased and, and, and can show that. So I just, that's just a word of like, wisdom, warning, like, I hold statistics very loosely on basically all grounds. Um, but I think starting with, you know, how, how have I benefited from being white? Um, and this would be something that we would consider to be white privilege. I know that that language, that term can feel almost offensive because maybe you've worked really hard and you have been, you know, you grew up poor or whatever. And so there really doesn't feel like there's any advantage that you've had handed to you, you know, no, no silver platter for you as a white person. Yes. As a white person. Um, and so I, I definitely understand how that can be a little, uh, tricky because it feels like it steals from your accomplishments or your hard work. And, and I, I, I will say personally, I believe not a, I will say 99% of black people are not wanting to communicate that. I don't think they are wanting to steal. Uh, obviously, there's an extreme on every planet, right, on every topic. But um, for the most part, white privilege just really means, you know what? I'm pretty sure you as a white person don't want to trade skin colors with me, right? Like what white person would say, I will easily, gladly trade my skin tone for black, right? But a lot of black people... I'm sure have thought their heads made my life would better if I were white. And I don't think white people would say, wow, I'm sure my life would be better if I were black. So that's kind of the most foundational way I can describe white privilege. It has nothing to do with trying to make white people feel guilty or feel bad for, for, you know, being white, but it's just an acknowledgement of like, yeah, your life is better and different because you were born white. And that's the thing that we need to tear down, right? We need to, to work to create a world where black people don't desire at all to be white because they think their life will be better or different or more privileged in a sense. Mm. Um, so let yeah. me ask you this on that, um, which is super helpful, interesting. I, you know, I don't think I hear a lot of people 
in a certain end of this conversation talking about this like that, right? Um, when you talk about the white privilege thing and acknowledging or recognizing and maybe even feeling some of the grief or the sadness yeah. for the imbalance or yeah. the injustice or whatever. Yeah. In the white privilege conversation, is there an ask of the white people to feel guilty or sorry for being white? Absolutely feels, not. To me, it feels obvious, yeah. you know, but yeah, can you yeah, speak yeah. to that? Because I yeah, think sometimes sure. people hearing that narrative automatically hear yeah. that, that rhetoric being like, yeah. you want me to feel guilty for my skin color, yeah. which is reverse racism, right? Can yes. you speak to that? Yep, I hear that for sure. And and here's what I'll say. I do know that there probably is a, I mean, I, I know this is absolutely true. There is extremism on this topic. And I am not suggesting that that is the, the, the way, right? Jesus has a very clean, pure kingdom way that this whole reconciliation journey should look like. Um, and, and we know, you and I, and, and anyone who's a Christian knows that guilt is not the way right? Um, and so for me, it's absolutely has nothing to do with feeling bad or shame or whatever. Do I know that there is a sort of extremist uh, sect of um, even sort of like Black Lives Matter followers that would say, yeah, get on your knees and tell me that, that you are shame, ashamed of being white? Right. I know that's real, but I'm not suggesting that that is even remotely the answer. Um, there is absolutely a clean uh, and honorable way that we can repent um, and feel the grief of the spirit. Right. I mean, I have personally wept with, you know, being overwhelmed with the grief of the Lord over the ways that his black family has been treated. Um, and so I would consider uh, grief, uh, holy grief, very different, obviously, than guilt or shame um, for a skin color. But obviously, my own journey of repentance, even in this season, right? I, God really, um, I didn't share this yet, but several years ago, God showed me and really convicted my heart that I was treating black women um, as second-class citizens when it came to business. I had this whole encounter where he uh, really revealed to me that I was ignoring them, dismissing them. I basically thought I was better than them, just really truly ignoring them because they were black. No other reason. Um, and so- And you didn't know you were doing that? Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, and I was a uh, Christian at the time, right? So I had been saved and, and, you know, I got saved 10 years ago, but in college was really my first sort of um, intro to uh, the race issue and racism and all of that um, because I was a straight up racist before then. I mean, I, I already mentioned that I wrote a paper on, um, you know, the evils of reverse racism and all of that. So um, I, and and I won't say I was like, you know, KKK status racist. But when you grow up in the South, um, we love the Confederate flag. Like it's in the air to like these things, right? It's like we 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 almost worship Robert E. Lee because he was, you know, That's he was you, our champion. Yeah. So can you tell me, I never really understood this. What is it about the Confederate flag that you guys loved or what did it represent to you that the American flag didn't? Yeah, I think it's isn't it's honestly it is the strangest thing to try and figure out now as like I have no understanding to be honest with you other than it is it is in the air. It is like you just want to like this thing and you so it's like feel a symbol like you're of unity with them. Yeah, 
I okay. yeah, I think so. And it's also like maybe like a sports team. Like I maybe don't love the sport, but I love that I get to be part of something bigger than myself. Is that? Ma- yeah, maybe a little bit. I I mean, it's it's almost. And this is the problem with this principality, is it is a it's a narcissistic personality um, principality, and so it does have these just like. They, it feels logical when you're under it, but then when you're out from it, it's like, what was I thinking, right? I don't know if you've ever experienced, you know, being in relationship with a narcissistic personality, but it's almost like you lose yourself in this thing. And so that's really what, you know, some of these symbols were, uh, symbols of unity, even though you don't realize they're symbols of white supremacy unity, right? Um, and they're, they're truly symbols of, you know, the South is better than the North. And then you don't realize, well, why, why was the South fighting? You know, because that's the other thing, um, that I have here, you know, just heard floating around is like, well, the civil war was for states' rights. Um, and I love that conversation because then you get down to, well, what were the states wanting to defend at the time? Why were they so up in arms about wanting to have, you know, their own sort of autonomous governing? Because they wanted to keep slaves. Right? It's like, well, you can layer this sort of states' rights thing on top of it. But if you get down to the nitty gritty, they wanted to protect their ability to keep slaves. So, um, you know, they wanted to protect their economy. They, they had a sweet ride. I mean, think about that. If you're, if you are making millions and millions of dollars with a very low overhead, what incentive other than, you know, having a moral conviction from God, what incentive would somebody have to sort of say, yeah, we can just let them go. And now I've got that advantage. Yeah. 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 There's absolutely zero incentive. Mm. So that's what they were still protecting. Um, And so that's, you know, where we have to be honest about these statues. You know, there's such a crazy conversation right now about statues. And I'm like, and within the church. And it's, it's almost this extreme deflection from actually facing the issue of racism. And I mean, I'm seeing half the church deny that racism is real. And yet I can look around and see well, I don't see any black people cheering you on, right? Maybe, maybe there's a couple of viral videos that have gone around of black people saying, I can buy a car, I can buy a house, my life is fine, I don't know what you're talking about. And to that, I would say, you know what, if you've never experienced racism, that is flipping amazing because I know so many more who deal with it daily. And so if you are walking in some amazing blessing that this hasn't touched your life, I would consider that a miracle because it's not the standard. It's not, you know, you are the exception and not the rule. So, you know, to, to sort of, and this is the thing is white people gravitate to this type of black person who is, who is saying, life is fine. America's not racist, right? We love that because they validate what we already want to be true. Instead of getting in the majority of black people who are speaking a totally other story of pain and, um, you know, just ongoing struggle. And we ignore them as if it's in their minds. It's gaslighting really to say, you know, your reality is not real. I'm so sorry. 
right? Like this is the narcissistic piece of, of this principality. So, um, yeah, it's really something that if we're not, if we're not careful, we'll just jump right in and find a black person that agrees with us instead of deconstructing this principality in our own life and, and, you know, really championing black people. Mm, Totally. So good. Thank you, Carla. Fascinating. I mean, I have so many more questions I'd love to ask and represent. We unfortunately are running out of time, so I got to start landing this thing. But um, before I do that, what is a place that if people want to hear more about what you have to say about this or get more, you know, information and clarity or whatever, is there places you would direct them, anything that you have out there or whatever that you would like to give them as like follow-up from this conversation? Yeah. Um, So there's a really, you know, just a really great place to start is a Christian organization called Be the Bridge. Um, They are not politically motivated. um, And I would say they are really, they've been working to help white people um, process through some of this stuff for a long time. Um, They're not new to this. It's not, you know, George didn't just incite uh, some, some new thing or election season didn't, didn't sort of spring this up. So that would be my suggestion. And also, you know, look around at what black pastors are saying, because there's something that's really interesting when, when you're under this sort of political thing, easy to look at political figures as the thing that will disciple you. Right. And so we need to be looking at black leaders and pastors for what is the heart of God from a black perspective and honor, you know, we honor them in all these other areas of our lives. But then all of a sudden, when it comes to race, we're looking for political figures to disciple us. It makes no sense. Right. So, man, look at, you know, at Carl Lentz and T.D. Jakes had an amazing conversation that I would totally recommend listening to. Um, and, uh, I know that, uh, Christine Kane had a really great conversation with Dr. Anita. So I think those are two good videos to get started. Um, you know, even, even the movie, just mercy, like just to see what an experience of a black person has been like, um, that's the story of Brian, uh, Brian Stevenson, I think is his name. Um, he's a lawyer and he works to get, um, marginalized people who are innocent um, out of prison because that's a whole nother topic for another day is the the school to prison um, basically funnel that uh, it's it, there's a book called uh, yeah funnel right I can't help it um, but it really is it's like they're literally funneled straight into um, prison from school and there's this whole you know just clear pathway to to that and um, there's a book called The New Jim Crow that is a, a great explanation of systemic racism. Um, and one of the issues when people talk about systemic racism is, yes, there are technically no laws in, in this moment that are overtly um, oppressive of black people. That is true. We have deconstructed many official laws. The problem is the systems were built around, um, you know, how basically to, to make it very hard for black people to sort of break free of, of the systemic racism, even with laws being changed. So, um, so that would be a good place to start, um, and, and just learn about, white privilege, white fragility, um, all that, all that stuff. Nice. Great. Thank you. Super helpful for people who want to look into this and actually like, yeah, 
you know, maybe look inside and be like, is this a thing? Do I need yeah. to ignore it? That's not a thing. That's not a yep. thing. Is it? Right. No, yeah, it's great. Thank you. And then there's also a documentary called the, the 13th that's on Netflix. Um, I will say that one is a little bit uh, political. There's a little political lean in there, which, you know, I always wish that there was just like clean, you know, just say the, say the stuff without the political pieces. Um, so I would recommend just knowing that filter sort of something like if I ever share something that's a little political, I'm like, nope, just as a Christian, just delete that part, like ignore it, filter it. Right. So. Yeah. Great. Thanks. And then how about social media wise? I know you're an influencer and you've got a following and people who like to subscribe to your yeah. message and your brand and all that. Where can people find yep. you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, just Carla Pratico, um, and I actually have two highlight reels. Each one has about, I know, I think there's about 150 stories where part of the work that I did um, over the last, you know, three weeks or so, um, I had over a thousand conversations with white people, both trying to confront them and um, encourage them in kingdom over everything and, and help them to sort of remove the political influence mm. um, and just sort of the ignorant piece as well. Um, so a lot of my conversations went really badly. <laughs> and so I tried to use examples to help people see like, this is how this principality communicates. This is how it shows up in real life. This, here are some patterns wow. of, you know, what this can look like in conversation or even in somebody's social media feed, because yeah. Social media feeds tell a lot about what's important to people. So um, that's a good place to learn some stuff as well. Just there's two highlight reels. I think they're called racial justice or something. So that's a nice. good place to start. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. Okay. Now, before we close, we yes. have this thing that I like to do on this podcast. I want to be more intentional about it. I think I've neglected it a bit here, but this is called Confessions of a Reformer. So I wanted to give you an opportunity, Carla, as a reformer for you to get to share a confession you have along the way, along the journey. You know, I know you do a lot of different types of work. It's not just racial reconciliation. You have yeah. lots of things you engage with and go after. Yeah. Um, is there a confession in that arena, wherever, that you would like to yeah. throw on the episode? Totally. Um, so it's interesting. I, I prefer the word uh, revolutionist as far as um, kind of what my commission from the Lord is because, and, and this gets into my confession because uh, I have been thinking and pondering and being kept up at night basically about this idea of whether or not people are actually saved who think they're saved. Um, and it, man, it is so confusing to me to like, you know, I, I've, after reading the scriptures and seeing Jesus talk about like, this is what your life will look like if you really believe in me, right? You'll have all this fruit. You'll have all this fire. You'll have all this miracles, signs and wonders will follow you, right? There's all of these like really clear standards. And then we look around the church and there's like half the church is just you know, in love with sin stuff, zero fruit, just sort of like, it's such a confusing topic to me of like, God, are these people saved? Because in my, in my belief, when you follow Jesus, it's a revolution. You actually, you know, if you think about what a revolution is, it, it means you were once serving one master and there was an overthrow of leadership. So you are no longer a citizen of this kingdom, which before we're saved, we're, we're a citizen of, of darkness, basically. We're called sons of disobedience. 
when you get saved, the revolution is you are co-crucified with Christ, you're co-buried with Christ, and co-resurrected with him into a new life, which is the revolution. You've had a full divorce from your old life, from your old sin dead life, and now you're alive to Christ, you're a citizen of heaven, so that should look like something. We're actually, you're operating from heaven to earth and your life doesn't look like the world. You aren't struggling the way the world struggles. You actually have a new heart that responds because it's like, it's filled with holiness, right? Mm -hmm. So it's actually easy to respond with a desire of holiness. So in my head, I'm like, okay, do we tell these people that they're not saved because they don't look like they're saved like the fruit is bad like the fruit i see is the fruit of a old sin dead life and not of a rebirth of christ the revolution of christ like are we supposed to talk to people about this because it feels like you know we have these scriptures that say like don't judge right and i'm like well this feels judgy <laughs> i don't know what to do with that um but at the same time i'm like well it says we can judge some fruit. So am I allowed to do that? You know, because I really am concerned that there are people who think they're saved and they're not. And like, wouldn't they be so glad if someone like helped them see they're not saved? But I think at the other end, it's like, they'll probably just be really offended and hate me. So what do I do with that? <laughs> right? So that's my confession. I think about this probably more than any topic these days because Honestly, I do think, you know, I think there's a revolution coming and it's going to look like, you know, a separation of the wheat, you know, scripture says the, the, what is it? The weed and the tares walk together till the end. And in my mind, I'm like, man, but we like, is, are we doing them a disservice by sort of trying to be polite and kind and, and not actually say the truth? of like, hey, your fruit like doesn't look so good. <laughs> you know? Um, so that's just, man, I don't know what to do with that topic and I don't know how to approach people about it. And because you can't just go around being like, I don't think you're a Christian. <laughs> 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 I think you think you are, but I don't think, you know, scripture says that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You don't just believe that Jesus is real or that what he did is real. It's actually that you believe he is your Lord. So that to me might be the different differentiating factors. You got a lot of people who believe Jesus is real, but they actually have not died to make him their Lord. They're still a servant of the other kingdom, even though they think Jesus is real. It's like, so these are things that keep me up at night. Wow. Thanks for giving that to the rest of us. No, yeah. totally. Yeah. Please stay up at night with me. We can text. It's fine. Midnight parties. Yeah. No, just totally. trying to solve the world's problems. It's fine. Uh, thanks for being honest and sharing that. That is vulnerable. And for sure. I mean, I definitely have to wrestle with that myself. And we've here at NUMA had to have some pretty intense group conversations yeah. about that within our midst. And man, yeah. that is a sobering conversation and something to have to like trudge lightly and no, like delicately into like I feel very trepidatious at getting to a point where I'm telling somebody you're not born again you don't know Jesus yeah. although I think the fruit thing is what do you do when you when you're aware and you can tell like how do you just ignore yeah. that you know totally I'm with you in that that is challenging yeah. and I think I've got some 
ideas of like how I would choose to respond, how I have responded. Yeah. But like how can you do that in so many different kind of contexts? Yeah. You know? and, right. Yeah. Different stories, different oh, experiences. Yeah. 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 Totally. Thank you. That's yep. crazy and fascinating. <laughs> What an interesting thing for us to have to navigate. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Carl, we got to wrap this up. Thank you so yeah. much for being on here with me. Um, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for contending for what you are and saying the things that aren't comfortable, that people don't like, for following your conviction and speaking the truth, even when it's not popular. I so respect yeah. and appreciate that. And it, we need that. Like in thank the you. body, we need voices yeah. like you to come up to the table and say, yo, this matters. Hey, this is happening. Yeah. Hey, this isn't happening. Thank we you. need that. I'm grateful. I love what yeah. you're doing. Thank you for bringing that to the table and sincerely Thank like you. sifting through. It's a lot of work. I get it. And there's so much gray to have to yeah. sift through and identify that there it's is. not actually great. And I've lost and I, a lot of friends in the last yeah. three weeks. Yeah. Most in my, in my whole life probably. <laughs> so, wow. so yeah, okay. thank you for doing the work yeah. and choosing to do it anyway. Like, thank you. I appreciate yeah. your sacrifice Amen. and contribution there. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and you guys, thanks for listening. Would you give us a like, throw a comment yeah. on here, subscribe to the, the podcast, give us a review if you've got that. Um, yeah. And we will see you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.